So we'll start, inshallah, with the, the first of the keys of linking with the Qur'an. And as I said earlier, we'll try to finish these. <coughs> this is like a, actually a, a whole week in course. And uh, I recently delivered it in, uh, I delivered it over like two lectures, possibly a couple of hours each, in Edmonton, Canada. And uh, we had to kind of rush through some of the keys, which are, might not be as important all of them are important but it, when it comes to priorities we give priorities some keys and over over others so we'll inshallah ta'ala try to skim and actually go through all of them the first one is as i said before if you ever read a surah of the quran one of the good ways of yes one of the good ways of understanding the key of that surah yeah that's it is to look for, as I said earlier, crisis moments. Well, that's not the, the best word. They call it crisis moments in this sense, but, but repetitions. What are the repetitive, not necessarily words, but meanings as well. And here is uh, uh, an example. Surat Fatr, I would suggest that you go back to the, after this course, after tonight, uh, today, and you look for Surah Fatr and read it from the beginning to the end. Surah Fatr is not huge. It's not even half a juz. And see how what we're saying here is relevant to the actual Surah. So Surah Fatr has repetitive themes of dignity and success, of kind of binary uh, language between successful people and losers, between devils and angels. One of its names is Surat Al-Malaika, the Surah of the Angels. And one of its names is Surat Fatr, the Surah of the Originator or the Creator. In fact, as at the very beginning of the Surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who made angels into like messengers. He sent some of them as, as messengers with messages like Jibreel. So when we look into the Surah, we'll find that, let's say, we take this ayah in the Surah, ayah number 10. What is in this ayah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ilayhi, look at the word Izzah. How many times it's repeated, like, in technically, less than a line. Al-Izzah, Al-Izzah. Man kana yuridu al-Izzata, falillahi al-Izzatu jami'ah. Ilayhi yas'adu al-kalimu al-tayyib. To him, good words are said. Wal-amalu al-salihu. Alhamdulillah. Wal-amalu al-salihu yarfa'u. Wal-lazina yamkuruna al-sayyiyati. The word makara in Arabic to plan is here and in the following line. Makar, makara, yamkuruna, makar. It's the same, the same root. Makara in Arabic means to what? To plan. To plan in a cunning way. Right? To plan. And then we have the word yabur. Bara in Arabic means to go. Uh, to perish or to have no benefit. 
when we say, for example, his trade, his trade has not become successful. It didn't produce anything, no profit. If we look at these words, good words, good deeds, makr and yabur, these five words, we will realize that they are actually in elsewhere in Surah Al-Amr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, for example, of the term yabur, later on when he said, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ Those who recite the book of Allah, وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةِ And they pray, they perform the prayer. وَأَنْفَقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ سِرًّا وَعَلَانِيَةً And they spend secretly and outwardly from what we provide them. يَرْجُونَ They are on. تِجَارَةً Trade. لَنْ تَبُورَ So the word يَبُور here and the word تَبُور there. Here we have the word مَكَرَ يَمْكُرُونَ Isn't it? مَكْرَ أَنْ يَمْكُرُونَ Later on in the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَكْرَ السَّيِّئَةِ And they plan evil. وَلَا يَحِيقُ الْمَكْرُ السَّيِّئُ إِلَّا بِأَهْلِ And the evil planning only hits those who plan it. So you've got the word مَكْر twice at the end of the surah. You've got مَكْر twice in the middle, in the beginning of the surah. How often should you find a word in, uh, in a matter of like three or four or five pages in order to say that actually this, this, this is a theme in the surah. This is a governing theme in the surah. That you can, now, he's mentioning the word makr by name four times, four or five times across the surah. And elsewhere in the surah, he mentions to you examples of good planning and examples of bad planning. Isn't it? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Man kana yuridu whoever wants or desires honor, then what you will ask yourself, you will ask yourself, how I achieve that? Because he's asking, he's telling you, if you want honor, it only belongs to Allah. So how can I get it? If it belongs to Allah, how can I get it? Then he's giving you, the people of honor are those who do one, two, three, four. And the people of honor will end up in this place. And the people of honor, these are their characteristics. And one of the ways of encouraging you to be of the people of honor is to tell you, are the people of honor similar to the people of dishonor? So he will bring you this comparison. So he says to you in Surah Fatir, وَمَا يَسْتَوِي الْأَعْمَى وَالْبَصِيرِ The one who can see and the one who is blind are not similar. وَلَا الظُّلُمَاتُ وَلَا النُّورِ Darkness and light are not similar. You see? وَلَا الظِّلُّ وَلَا الْحَرُمِ Shade is never like heat the living are not like the dead so he's showing you the people of what the people of honor in comparison to the people of what disgrace then later on as I mentioned before to you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, a few lines later he says those who recite the book of Allah and they spend and they perform their salah and they spend from what we provide for them for them is a trade that will never go off. What does that mean? They're honorable. They're dignified. Because when someone's trade business is high, he is in a good position. He even mentions levels of the people of Izzah, of those who have taken the path to get that honor, even if they are not to the highest degree. So he says to you, 
ثم أورثنا الكتاب الذين اصطفينا من عبادنا We have given the book, the Quran, the knowledge to those whom we have selected from our people In other words, Allah has guided to his way those who have been blessed to be guided You are not guided because you are smart Because you are intelligent Because you have a PhD Because there could be someone who has got a PhD and he's like a genius But he's not guided He lived a life getting this prize and getting that uh, is this poet laureate and is uh, this Nobel Prize winner, but at the end of the day, all of this life is a trade that goes off. Isn't it? It's a trade that goes off. He was trading in his name and his expertise, but your trade is good. It's a small business, but a successful one. What's the point of having a huge company, corporate, international corporation, and then when it collapses, remember, like big initiatives, have big losses as well. Small initiatives are small losses. To go like a corner shop, if you leave that business, you can uh, do mini cabin. Or you don't, uh, you don't, you don't do driving. Khalas, you can just like stay home and annoy your wife. And she can annoy you as well, mutually. <laughs> it's mutual annoyance. It's good. It's business. And that would never go off. <laughs> Isn't it? I tease you with this, alhamdulillah, I don't annoy anyone and I don't get annoyed by anyone. So, uh, then let's look at the, the people uh, of honor and the people of huh? disgrace. We said the people of honor are those who have inherited the book and they are, so what will be their destination? Continuing in the same way, it says, They are in, 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 in gardens of Eden, they are in paradise. And what about the others? The others in Hellfire, they are fighting with each other, screaming. Like they say, Can you let us out? Let's try, let's have another chance. This is the, the, the difference, but that comparison. And then what fits within this uh, theme is to show you that the creation of Allah is different as well. As much as there is difference in human beings, those who are doomed to hell, and those that are destined to heavens, there are also difference in mountains. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces this, uh, this theme of different human natures by showing you a difference in, in real nature. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ أَنْزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَخْرَجْنَا بِهِ ثَمَرَاتٍ مُخْتَلِفًا أَلْوَانُهَا didn't you see that Allah sends down the rain? It's the same rain, same drops. But the fruit, the, the, the vegetables and the fruits and different uh, vegetation that comes out is different. They're diverse. وَمِنَ الْجِبَالِ You're not convinced with this level of diversity? Well, there is another level of diversity. وَمِنَ الْجِبَالِ Amongst the mountains. جُدَدٌ بِيضٌ وَحُمْرٌ There are white ones, there are reddish ones. There are black ones, different colors of mountains, different sizes, different uh, textures, different strengths. Some are very stiff rocks, some are volcanic, some are not. Some can be used for building, some cannot be used for building, but you can use them for roads and pavements. Some can turn into something else and be used different uses. At the end of the day, you can say, that some of them represent dignity and honor and some represent something else. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah, we can say that we can, wherever we put our hand in this surah, surah Fatir, whichever ayah we put our hand, we will be able to link the sentence to the topic of the surah. So you should ask yourself, okay, where else in the surah do I find this word? But if it's not the word, this theme. For example, I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say you have not memorized Surat Al-Ikhlas. <coughs> Pick up any ayah in Surat Al-Ikhlas. Lam yalid, lam Not the beginning of it. Lam yalid, lam He begets not, nor he is begotten. He doesn't have children, nor he is born. What does that in, take you to? The theme of what? Oneness. Uniqueness. Uniqueness. Qul huwa Allahu. He did not say wahid. He said what? Ahad. One and unique. And then finally, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفْوًا Ahad at the beginning and Ahad at the end. Ahad at the beginning is oneness. Ahad at the end is uniqueness. This Ahad is different from that Ahad, by the way. They are two different Ahads. <laughs> because at the beginning he said, وَلَقُوهَ اللَّهُ Ahad is one. Finally, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفْوًا no one is similar to him. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ أَحَدٌ كُفُؤًا This is like this تقديم and تأخير. There is order. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُؤًا أَحَدٌ So the Ahad at the beginning is Allah. The Ahad at the end is human beings. Creation. <laughs> That's why I said the Ahad at the beginning and the Ahad at the end are two different Ahads. Yes, it's the same. For example, when I say so and so is Ahad and so and so is Ahad آخر. So and so is one is one and so and so is another one is another one is the is is the other being right so when I, when when you look at any point in the surah take for example surah quraish rihlat falya'budu rabb hadha albayt just like take that sentence in the middle of the surah falya'budu rabb hadha albayt let them worship the lord of this house when I bring about ibadah, a duty, what will you be asking about? Why? Isn't it? If I say Rudwan, good to obey the rules. What will be your question? Why? Why should I obey the rules? Because they keep you safe. Because you protect the society. Because, 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 because. So if you ask the question, why should they worship the Lord of this house? Because he has given them safety in terms of food and in terms of security and people's essentials of the society is to be safe in terms of their resources and in terms of what we call public security public safety if there is public safety in the society if there is no public safety in the society would be would you enjoy your meal if you know that someone is on is with a gun on your head and if it is very safe, if the place is very safe and it doesn't have resources, hmm. you can't live there, you can't survive there. Will you go? Yeah. There are very beautiful places. Yes? Will you go? No, no, no. no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't leave that place. Okay. <laughs> I had yes. Inshallah, <laughs> mabrook. Like, a, let's say there is a nice, beautiful, like the, there is like a very nice, beautiful state of the United States of America. Amazing, beautiful weather, but 
it is desert, barren desert. Not a single plant grows there. Arizona, for example. Will you go? You won't go. People normally live around, big civilizations of the universe grow around rivers, mm. water resources, because water, as they say, is the secret of life. You take water, and then, light, then, then there is earth, you can produce anything, isn't it? But people who live in the desert, there has to be something else. Like in Arabia, where did Arabs live? They were like pockets around places that they can actually have built a civilization. And they, because there was not, not much, they had to travel. So that's another reason for Ibad, that they have safety, and they have food, and they have the ability to travel. Beginning with the surah, We made them familiar to huh? the, 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 the winter and the summer journeys to trade up north with the people in the Sham and to trade down south with, with the people of Yemen. And what is needed for traveling? Two things, safety of movement and resources that enable. So it's like a circle. The surah is actually like a circle. It's like in the beginning of the surah says, well, we have given you safety to move and ability to seek food. Like ability to seek food. At the end, he says, The conclusion is, I've given you access to food and the ability to move. The surah is like a circle. If you take any surah in the Quran, you will find that, pick up a, a sentence in the middle of the surah, look for the words, see all these words repeated elsewhere in the surah, exact words or derivatives of the same root, makara, yamkuru, makiran, makaran, izza, aziz, because bawar, which is like going off business, is always related to tijara, to trade. So look either for words, and if you don't find words, or you find one of the words, then sometimes the surah is small, is condensed. That you can't actually find that flexibility of finding repetition. Then look for the theme. What's the theme of this? And then see, does that fit within the topic of the surah? Yes. So as I said, honor, people of honor. Plan, then evil planning. Mountains are different. Uh, when he says here, To him, good words do ascend. An example of Al-Kalimu-Tayyib is the Quran, isn't it? Definitely. The Quran is the highest Al-Kalimu-Tayyib. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have given the book, we have given the Quran to those whom we have selected from our servants. So as an example of Al-Kalim Al-Tayyib. Good deeds, he talks about uh, how people help. Uh -huh. And when we say, So how do we achieve honor? He gives you the way. Whom should we achieve honor from? from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and associating ourselves from Allah. So he has also to explain to you how do people associate themselves with fake reasons of honor like power, money. So he tells you, Ya ayyuhal nas, antumul fuqara'u ilallah. Oh people, you are always in need of Allah. 
is in other ways he says, well, you might associate yourself with wealth and you say, I am rich, I have honor. Or you might associate yourself with power and you say, well, I'm very powerful, I'm honorable. Or position and say, I'm, I'm honorable. Or people. He could have said, by the way, yeah, amanu, Oh, you who believe. But that's very small. Because the, the, the address here is universal address. All people. Whether you believe in Allah or not, whether you acknowledge that He is your creator or not, whether you are in need. It's a universal thing. Like people can lie about anything in their life. The only thing they can't lie about is death. <laughs> Isn't it? But people can't lie about that. Gaiutin says when we're born, we're born with death starts walking in our shade from the moment we were born. This is like in the shadow. In the shadow there is something called what? Death. Sometimes we switch off that shadow and we start acting as if there is nothing called death. The Prophet said, well you got to remind yourself all the time of what? That's the only thing that will make any loss easy for you. You lose your health. You lose your life one day, by the way. So you know, okay, I've lost my, some of my health, fine. You lost your money. Will you leave it behind you? <laughs> willing, willing, wi willingly or not? Isn't it? They say willy-nilly. Like whether you want it or, or not, you will have to leave it behind. Well, I'm, uh, one of my children has gone astray and I can't actually do anything about it. You might, you could have died and left them behind and you would never, you have no control. You have no control over yourself, isn't it? Well, but life is tough. Death is even tougher. I feel lonely. Well, you will feel even lonelier in your grave. I know this, this sounds very disheartening, if I would say that. It's a bit disheartening to some people. But facts, realities are bitter. Why are they bitter? Because we deceive ourselves into an imaginary world that we live in. It's like someone who gives himself an impression that everything is fine. But the reality is his health is deteriorating. So when he wakes up and he realizes that, you know what, your health is actually deteriorating, it's better. He doesn't want to live with that fact. But you've got to live with that fact. If you don't, Nothing can, as, as the Prophet ﷺ said, لا شفاعة في الموت Like there is no intercession about death. No one can come and say, please. I really, I haven't taken my fill from, like a wife can't say, I haven't taken my fill from my husband. Can you leave him for a few more years? He's such a good husband. I don't know what, what, what to do later on. A child can't come and say, well, I'm, I'm so young. My father hasn't actually spent enough time with me. Nor a father can say, well, I haven't spent enough time with my children. Can I, can I enjoy them? I really want to see my children graduating or my daughter getting married. Or No one can, can do that. It's like, that's, a, that's a real fact. Uh, back in the days, I, I gave a lecture on uh, does God exist? And one of the very well-known philosophers was like a crazy man, a man called Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. He's a German philosopher. And he was famous for saying, God is dead. That's what he said. God is dead. So someone put a caricature. Just a, just a statement. It was very interesting. He said, Nietzsche says, God is dead. God says, Nietzsche is dead. Ah. That's the reality, isn't it? God says, Nietzsche is dead. So where is Nietzsche to respond? <laughs> so sometimes you try to evade. Like some people try to live all their life 
denying the existence of God. People like Stephen Hawkins. And then God proves his existence to them at the end by saying, well, come, let's talk. Isn't it? Come, let's talk. And this is an invitation that they cannot decline. <laughs> this is an invitation that they cannot escape. They can't say, well, I've got another conference to attend. Well, that's it. Once God calls them for that divine conference, it's the end of it. When you look at a surah, what you should look at is what are the words and what are the themes in the sentence before you move on. This is going to take a bit of time from us. Let me introduce it by saying that a surah, the word surah, linguistically comes from the word few opinions. First, comes from the word sur, which means fence. Normally you build a fence or a wall around what? Your house, a piece of land that you own to say, well this, what is inside this belongs to one person. So we're talking about a unity, isn't it? A unity of land. Otherwise, if you have a piece of land, you will not put a fence around the whole piece of land if you're sharing it with your, with, with your neighbor, for example. You put the fence to say, well, this belongs to this person, this belongs to this person. This, you divide it, isn't it? So every surah starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Every surah has a unity inside it. They said that the word surah is possibly coming from the word also surah, which means position. Because each surah has a position, has a state. You know, in the day of Qiyamah, in that long hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that the surahs of the Qur'an will come in person. It's like, it's like human beings. So there will be a surah called Surah Al-Baqarah, walking. Surah Al-Imran, walking. It's like all of these surahs will manifest as, like, as something, as humans. Allahu A'lam, what form. But he says, Ya'ti Al-Qur'an, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the surahs of the Qur'an will come on the day of Qiyamah. zahrawatan Surah al Imran, Surah Al-Baqarah, will come in the front. It's like a, a, a display line of beings. Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Imran. And whichever surah you are reciting will come for your help on the day of Qiyamah. So you frequently recite, for example, let's say you recite Qulu Allahu Ahad all the time, all the time, all the time. Surah Qulu Allahu Ahad, you, you've been taken to hellfire. Just imagine that uh, dramatic situation. You're going to hellfire and then Surah Qulu Allahu Ahad comes and it's you. You've recited like a thousand times in your life. It's strong. So this is your version of It will come and pull you back and take to the say to the angel, excuse me, where are you taking this guy to? Oh, we're taking him to hellfire. No, no, no. You can't take him to hellfire. I've been his companion all his life. He's given me, his, instead of going to the gym, he's been reciting <laughs> So imagine as, as that. If you recite all the surahs of the Quran, then you got 114. <laughs> Help us. You've got like one surah, but depends on how strong it is. It's very interesting also. Like this is a, an experience that, uh, that I, I witnessed. We, uh, I took a friend in 2000, possibly 2009 or something <coughs> like that. We were, I was in Cairo, and I took a friend to visit... Uh, the Masjid of Sheikh Salih al-Ja'fari, rahmatullah Sheikh Salih al-Ja'fari was one, a great scholar uh, of Islam. He lived, uh, he died in 1978. And he lived in 50 years inside the al-Jam'a al-Azhar, al-Azhar Mosque. He had like a khalwa, a place for himself, 
like a small bed and he lived in the masjid. He used to do his durus and he did 27 hajj and, and umrah in between. So, so his maqam, his grave is right next to the masjid and it's like in a big room. You just walk into the, the grave and if people have visited the graves in, in, in Egypt and Morocco, normally they have like a glass, like a glass box outside. And sometimes they put a mushaf inside and it's open on a surah. Anyway, me and that friend who uh, has never been to Sheikh Saleh al-Jafari before, he, we walked in, uh, we sat and we left because it was Salat al-Isha time and we went to the masjid upstairs. Then this friend said to me, Sheikh, you know, I don't know why when I entered the place, I had like a, a pulling power, pulling me to recite Surah Al-Insan. Like there was something like forcing me besides Surah Al-Insan, besides Surah Al-Insan. I didn't give too much attention to it, to be, to be honest. Until we started Salat Al-Isha, and that was very strange. Because <laughs> as soon as we started Salat Al-Isha, the Imam recited Surah Al-Insan. Like of all the Surahs of the Quran, he recited Surah Al-Insan. So I got very emotional in Salat. And then I said, again, you know, not much attention, you know. Like sometimes things happen, it might be a chance, isn't it? It's just like a haphazard. So we walked out, he was very surprised. I was a bit surprised, but not much. And then he, uh, he, he went to Alexandria a week later. And I went back to the mosque after Salat al -Asr. Then I'm walking, and I'm sure when we entered on that day, it was like five minutes before Salat al so we sat far from the grave. So he didn't see anything. But that time I went close to the grave and I'm standing and there is, I told you, there is a mushaf always inside, right? There's a mushaf inside the grave, like lying down open like that. Very interestingly, it's open on. So I went to the other side and there is another mushaf, there are two mushafs, and it's also open on. I said, it's unbelievable. So I called the guy. <laughs> I said, Muhammad, you know that, that day when we visited, uh, did you see anything? He said, oh, Sheikh, you saw me. I sat right next to the door. I couldn't even come close. Ajeeb. Very strange. Then some months later, like I came back to London, and some months later I happened to, um, to speak to a, a student of Sheikh Saleh al-Jafari. Like of, of, he was like... Uh, student of the son of Sheikh Salah al He's a brother here in the UK. He's actually has a PhD from Masoas, Samar al-Dijani. Yeah. So I said to him, Samar, what was the favorite surah of Sheikh Salah al -Jafari? He said, Surah al-Insan. And I was talking to a, another Sheikh from Saudi Arabia, and I related to him that, the whole thing, without telling him what Samar mentioned. He said to me, you know, when someone loves a surah, he read that somewhere. When someone loves a surah and he passes away, Allah sends the angels to recite that surah around his grave. And when someone visits that grave, the angels inspire the person to recite the surah out of respect for the person in the grave. Like that's, that's not a, a fantasy. That's actually an experience that I have gone through. <laughs> Sheikh Saleh, this is like the final episode of this. Sheikh Saleh is from Ahlul Bayt, the family of the Prophet. And the favorite surah of Ahlul Bayt is Surah Al Insan. 
Actually, it is the surah. It's called the surah of Al Bayt. Why? Because there is a place there referring to Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Fatima. It's very just, just amazing. So, surah, as again, is a position. So, imagine on the day of Qiyamah, the 114 surahs of the Quran having positions. This surah is here and this surah is here. It's like lights. Whichever you recite, whichever surah you recite, you get to that position. There is a hadith where the Prophet says, because a half of the Quran has the 114 surahs, isn't it? So the Prophet says, The reciter of the Quran will be told in the day of Qiyamah, Recite and elevate. Your position will be with the last surah that you recite. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you recite according to your power. Whichever st station you stop at, that's your station. You get off at that station. So someone might recite and then he gets off at Surat Fatir. Someone might stop and he gets off at Surat Al-Ikhlas. Someone might stop and get Surat Al-Nas. And whichever surah you get at, you'll get the barakah of that surah. So, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Protection. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Protection. But what's the difference? قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Protection related to time. Because falaq means the crack of the day. Protection in terms of people. <laughs> Creation. So that is time and this is space. Right. You, will, you, you ended with, let's say, Surat Amma Yatasa'alu. So your position will be there. So Surah could mean uh, one of its meanings, as I said, something that is united. Or one of its meanings is what? A position or a station. Every surah of the Quran is like a tree. Or like a human being. A human being. You are made of eyes, nose, mouth, head, heart, legs, hands. Every surah has a heart. Isn't it? Every surah has a heart. And the surah, that is the heart of all hearts, is surah. Yasin. Yasin. Why? Because in Surah Yasin, I'll have to check this again, but in Surah Yasin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ is like be, and it is. This is the secret of creation. <laughs> so it's the heart of everything. Right? So Yasin is the heart of what? The Quran. And the secret at the heart of Yasin is? There are other sayings of the ulama that are a bit above our heads that I don't want to, to get into. So every surah resembles a tree or a human or a chain of mountains. As I show you in this, uh, in this image, you've got to go to the roots, the trunk, the branches, the leaves and the fruits. You can just go, and if you follow it in this way, if you kind of dissect the surah, you realize the surah has a, a root, has a trunk, basically has an essential message, and then that message has been diversified, and then diversified and diversified. At the end of the day, it takes you to the root. Here is uh, another part of your homework that you can go back and look at. Surah Al-Ra'd. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts Surah Al-Ra'd by saying Alif Lam Mim Ra Tilka ayatul kitab These are the verses of the book Wallazi unzila ilayka min rabbika al-haq Walakin akthar al-nasi la yu'minun It's 11 words And that which has been revealed to you from your Lord is the truth But most of the people don't believe so what is the root of this surah? Displaying the haq and proving that it is haq and talking about the disbelievers and challenging them since they deny the haq. Because you can't leave the haq, the truth, being truth and people denying it without telling them, excuse me, wake up, you are denying the truth. You're not denying anything, you're denying the truth. Be wary of this. You're getting yourself into big trouble. Because this is the truth. It's like saying to someone who's driving in the red, it's a red light. It's red light. By the way, it's not amber. It's not flashing. It's actually red light. You're driving, you lose your license. It's red light. I said, well, I want to drive. I said, listen, it's red light. Obviously, by that time, he would have already <laughs> cut it. But imagine that so the whole surah you just visualize that the root the whole surah will be around the haq and the disbelievers the haq what is the haq what is haq about it what is truthful about it isn't it what is the content of haq isn't it if someone says well someone asks you or asks any of you why do you believe in islam i say because it's the truth you say truth what do you mean? So you need to explain the dissect the components. Why do you eat this? Because this is my food. Your food? What is your food? So you need to dissect the truth, the call of truth, and present it to people and say, well, this is the truth. This is what is in the truth. And the other pillar is those who receive the truth. Deniers and believers. Believers and unbelievers. Those who disbelieve. Why do they disbelieve? Isn't it? Why do they disbelieve? And are they uh, justified in their rejection or not? And why not? Obviously, try to save them. In between these two pillars, huh? in between these two pillars, the message has not jumped, has not fallen by a parachute on these disbelievers. It has come through a, a messenger. So possibly they are refusing the message because of the messenger. So he will have to talk about the messenger as well. It is something called, if any one of you has studied logical fallacies, we have something called formal logic and something called non-formal logic. Formal logic is Aristotelian logic. Non-formal logic is what people use in the media. You know, all of this nonsense that's in the media is based on something called logical fallacies. Logical fallacy is to give the person a, a, an impression that you're thinking in a right way, but you're not. Let's say, for example, I say to you, this place is quite nice, but it's a bit uh, old. And then someone says, oh, why do you see that the place is shabby? Have I said it's shabby? I have. And he starts that. 
he starts attacking. It's not shouting place. It's actually we have. This is called straw man. Have you heard that term before? Straw man. Straw man is when you reproduce what another person has said and start attacking it. Muslims say, for for example, for example, arranged marriages. Is arranged marriage as arranged marriage a bad thing or a good thing? Separate from anything else, it's not a bad thing. Because every marriage by default is what? Whether you have chosen the boy or your parents have chosen, it can't just be haphazard. You don't wake up in the morning and get married, mashallah. There has to be some arrangement. But what is wrong? Forced marriages. Isn't it? Forced marriages. So when someone comes and says, Muslims promote arranged marriages. Well, the whole society promotes arranged marriages, by the way. Let's go and book a, a, a hole in the summer. If you can get it because of what? There is arrangement, isn't it? So building something else is called a straw man. That's a fallacy. The one that we'll talk about here is called ad. Yeah, I think it's this house. It's a sort of a Latin word. Ad homonym means leaving the case and fighting the one who's bringing the case. Let's say someone, a postman is bringing you an important letter from the Pope. You don't like the shape of the postman. So you say to the postman, I'm not receiving this letter. But you have to take it. This important letter or this from the council. No, 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 you know what? I don't like the way you're dressed. That's not, my, that's not your business. A lot of people leave what you say and attack you. So they call this fallacy, for example, how do you... What's your name? Kamran. Are you married? No. Okay. So for example, Kamran wants to talk about happy family, establishing happy family. Well, he, this is his training, poor guy. So someone says, I can't, I can't believe you. Why? You're not even married. What does that have to do with what I want to say to you? Like I am communicating knowledge. Mm. Oh, but you're not married. Well, yes, that's my personal problem. How come you're not married and you're like 40? How can you talk about family happiness and you're 40 and you're not married yet? That is called ad hominem. Sometimes they call it, uh, it, it has different, different ways. In, like the way you attack can decide. So there's one is called two Q quay, something like that. Yeah, two Q quay. A two Q quay is when you say you as well. How do you talk? How dare you tell me how to respect my parents if you have, I have seen you yesterday shouting at your mother in the phone. <laughs> well, yes, I'm a bad boy, but you shouldn't be one. Isn't it? How come that you're telling me about painting and uh, like sitting in my house in, in order? And I, I was visiting you yesterday, subhanAllah, it was a mess in your bedroom. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not an excuse. So that's called tukyukwe. It's like pointing back. Muhammad how? Pointing back and forth to the person. So the surah, this surah, is telling us about a logical fallacy that sometimes people refuse the message because they have a problem with the messenger. How can we believe a messenger who eats? If he was a spiritual man, he should not live on any food. 
He should get not even like an oxygen mask should be accompany him everywhere. <laughs> you have to be very spiritual, like living it like a gas mask. <laughs> if he's a sheikh, mashallah, if he's a sheikh and he's not very, very spiritual, how come that his children are gonna astray? Well, he can't control them. He did his best. Oh, if he's like a really, really good person, how come that he got divorced? That's really bad. Well, by the way, divorce doesn't mean that any of the parties involved are bad. It could mean that they are very good parties, but they just don't right for each other. If he's really good and successful, how come that every business he starts collapses? <laughs> this is bad luck. This is bad luck, what can he do? If, he, if he's really smart, he should go and help himself. All of these are addressed in actually in this surah. So when we look at surah al-Ra'd, as I told you before, the surah will talk first about the truth. What are the components of the truth? So it tells us that the two essential components of the truth are Allah and the last days. Beginning end. The whole Quran is about that. Allah and the last day. Why? Because Allah is your reference point for taking any decision and root in your life. You either have Allah or your aql or your intellect. You, you decide based on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what he tells you or yourself. Your reference point is either external or internal. If it's internal, it can be your desire, it can be your intellect, it can be loads of other things. But if it's external, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean by external, it's not in the world. It's either in the world or outside, or, or separate from the world, different from the world, the creator of the world. So believe in Allah. And the last day, the last day has that retrospective uh, effect of telling you how to be accountable, that there is accountability. And subhanAllah, there is a very interesting thing guy Eaton mentions he talks about how our society has declined into a bunch of job holders mm. this is something pe people don't think about our society now is based on what job holders you have a job what's your job you go to an office sit in the office open your computer obviously health I'm not talking about health wise the hazards of that the problems of that what I'm talking about you don't actually get anything from the moment of your graduation to the moment of your death. Like there is no new talent. Well, you might be attending some courses here and there to refresh in some what you can call talents, but like real talents, like real, real talents. Nothing. Like if you wake up in the morning and you discover that all the shops are no more selling food, we would be in big trouble, isn't it? <laughs> no one would be able to go to his garden and start trying. There was a man somewhere in the, in the, either in Finland or something like that, who was storing, who was storing seeds, seeds, because he believes that like, seeds are extincting, like they're they're finishing. There are plants that do not exist anymore, languages don't exist anymore. Like there was one a woman who passed away recently in Argentina. She was 103 years old. She's the last speaker of a language. And with the death of this woman, that language khalas. There's a book by a, a man called something Austerly. It's called Empire of Words. 
the Empire of Words. It's like a thick book. Mm -hmm. But he talks about how languages die just like human beings. Like who speaks, for example, Latin nowadays? It's a dead language. Well, it exists only where? In science. That's why when I said to you, ad homonym, and you say, oh, what's that? And because of the loss of... who Recently, BBC has... There, there was a production of a, a film, a movie, of a story in, uh, in Akkadian language. You know what Akkadian language is? It was a spoken... It's a language that was spoken once in Iraq. So they basically... They said this language hasn't been heard for 2,000 years. <laughs> it's like a story of a man buying something and starting a business and the spoken language is what? Akkadian. Obviously, how do we know that this is the actual real Akkadian? I don't know. But they tried to produce the sounds. And actually, if you listen to it, it's very similar to Arabic. Because it's the same, the same linguistic family. Aramaic, who speaks Aramaic now. Assyrian, who speaks Assyrian. Kaldanian, who speaks these languages. No one. English as a language is like a very new language. A very, very new language. Who speaks Arabic nowadays? <laughs> Seriously, who speaks Arabic nowadays? That's a question that you should ask. People don't speak Arabic. Arabs don't speak Arabic. Like people, and what's even funny and disgusting, funny and disgusting, is when you watch, for example, uh, religious uh, drama. They present Muslims as, like Arabs, like, as if the Sahaba were talking to each other. That's not how Arabs used to talk. That's complete nonsense. Do you think a person in the desert will bother putting the Arab harakat? No. They said, like in the description of Arab, spoken Arabic, they said, They would stop at the ends of the world just like a bird would stop on something. A bird hovers and moves, isn't it? So they would actually speak like proper Bedouins. Like even if you really want to listen to a bit of good Arabic, go to Mauritania. That's, that's like a, not even in Nawakshot. Not even outside Nawakshot. But you need to go to the Badia. Like the real, real, real Badia, which is unfortunately has been uh, corrupted now. In the Badia, in the desert, you have got... Uh, satellites and you've got like mobile phones and the the the, the bedouin actually sitting behind the camel and he's got he's on his phone mashallah <laughs> <laughs> it is it's, it's not a joke it's a, it's a real thing it's invading people it's invading people so thinking that uh uh languages languages die so anyway going back to the surah the surah tells you that huh, the component of truth is that belief in allah and that Last day, belief in Allah. How does obviously believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah as a belief is something that is provable. You can prove that. So the surah gives you after that proofs. And akhirah, belief in akhirah is not provable. Why is it not provable? Because, because you need to believe in Allah first. You need to believe in authority to believe in Akhirah. Otherwise, if you don't believe in Allah, that's why the biggest challenge to convince people with nowadays, remember, people denied a hereafter first, and then they denied the existence of God. That the existence of God has been denied by atheists. Right? Atheists. 
who don't believe in a theist, a God. But this belief in Akhirah has always, has always existed. Arabs, remember, Arabs believed in a, a God, in Allah, but they didn't believe in Akhirah. Isn't it? When the man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he showed him some bones, uh, like dead bones, and he like, smashed them, and he said, do you think that your, your Lord will bring this back to life? This man believed in Allah, isn't it? He believed that Allah exists, but he believed in other things as well. He didn't want, he didn't want to believe in Akhirah. So believe in Akhirah, in the hereafter, is not provable, but it is discussable. Only when you believe in Allah. So the Quran tells us in this surah, Surah Al-Ra'ad, later on, you will find that belief in Allah is discussed, and belief in Akhirah is also presented, and directing us to proofs of the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, right after that, and I again, you know, I want you to go tonight and read Surah Al-Ra'ad. So after the first sentence I told you, تلك آيات الكتاب والذي أنزل إليك من ربك الحق ولكن أكثر الناس لا يؤمنون. These are the verses of the book. What has been revealed to you from your Lord is the truth, but most of the people what do not believe. What should follow is how do you believe in Allah? Who is Allah? The next ayah starts with Allah الذي رفع السماوات بغير عمل. Allah is the one who lifted the heavens without pillars. That's a proof. Is it? You, he can't say to you, Allah exists in this or that, but he can say to you, well, look, how do these, if you deny him, how do these uh, heavens keep, keep that, that height and that distant height uh, without collapsing on you? You can see it. He could have said, he is the one who lifted heavens without pillars, and that's it. No, he said, you can see it. Like, why do you deny? تَرَوْنَهَا And then, well, you don't want to look that far. وَأَلْقَ فِي الْأَرْضِ رَوَاسِيَ أَنْ تَمِيدَ بِكُمْ He is the one who kept the land fixed with the mountains. It could have collapsed. How come that you are walking in a ball? It's in continuous movement. And you don't fall. Huh? Who has put that system of, uh, uh, which you call gravity? Who has put that system inside? Isn't it? If there is a bowl and there is something inside it, the first question you would say, who has put this toy inside? Who has put this engine inside the car? And then, okay, you don't want to look up or down, look around. Oh, there are all of these diverse things. You know this, I don't want to spend time on that. You know this, this, these statements, these three statements, or actually this last one, in philosophy, they call it, a proof, this, is a, a, this, is, this proof is used by a man called Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. It's called the proof of diversity. Like if there is diversity of things around you and a system, it indicates that there is something behind that system. Why? Because there is something called, we mentioned that in the Aqidah class, there is something called the effective cause, isn't it? Does anyone remember that? The effective cause and the material cause and the formal cause, and the, the end cause. Everything around us has these four causes. This table is made of plastic, metal, put together. Its material cause is what it is made of. Its end cause is a table to serve us, isn't it? So that we eat on it. 
its formal cause is the shape. It has been, it could have been put in any other shape, but the only shape that will help us sit in such a way is this. Raised up, four legs, why not one? Why not two? Why not three legs? Why the legs are distributed around it in the peripheries, not in the middle, because otherwise it will collapse. What is the meaning is, if all of these exist, there must be a planner behind this. These things, that diversity, should show what? Should point out to a planner. Well, this is what they teach you in philosophy. And you can actually, these are called, by the way, the four Aristotelian causes. It's not invented by a Muslim philosopher. They are by Aristotle. So Aristotle says that everything has these four, four material, four causes. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Look at that. Look at that multiplicity of beings. You've got a camel, you've got a goat. Why is the goat so small? And why is the camel so big? And why is the goat has milk and the camel has different type of milk? Why does the camel live for that number of years and the goat lives a lot, a lot younger? Why is the meat different? Possibly because of their different stomachs. Possibly because of the different tastes. Why is it that the cow and the buffalo are different? Why can't there only be cows? Why do we have deer? And why is the deer so small so that it runs? Why do we have to hunt deers in the first place? Do you, got, do you hunt a goat? Do you hunt a cow? Do you hunt a camel? Why, but why do you have to hunt a deer? You ask yourself, I'm asking you this question. Why do we have to hunt? Why? Huh? So you can eat? Yes, well, but you can eat without having to hunt. But why do we need to hunt? Hmm. Sport. Huh? Sport. Sport? What if it's not sport? It's not, it's not reared in a, uh, in a domestic way. It's what? It's not reared in a domestic way. Yes, uh, that's, why, uh, that's why it runs away. But why do you need to hunt? Why as human beings? Why hunting is so important? We need to ask these questions. Why hunting is so important? Psychologically, it fills your psychological vacuum that you have to work for your food. Uh, Isn't it? Yeah. You have to run and plan. It develops you as a human being that you have to think ahead of that. Yes, animals can be very speedy, but you have to think of a counter plan of blocking the speed of the animal, making a trap. If hunting was not there, we wouldn't have been able to think of traps, isn't it? <laughs> and what has man lost with hunting? Fitness. You can't even uh, hunt a bull at home. <laughs> if you're doing <laughs> the only thing, you can't even hunt your plate <laughs> from the cooker and bring it to the table, isn't it? Carry. <laughs> That's, that's what we what we lost. And then we always think about the Prophet The Prophet was very active. He was very, very active. Our mothers were very active, moving. We've come to like very luxurious societies and we've become very slowed down. Like that. Let's not talk about deers now. <laughs> so, the, the surah goes on in, in showing these uh, proofs of the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then talks about the uh, the water one water but multiplicity of what of plants and then it goes on uh, and talks about creation of human beings 
So look at the universe. Look at the, uh, look at the heavens, the earth, the universe, around you, then yourself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu ya'lamu ma tahmilu kullu untha. If he doesn't force you to believe in him by looking at his perfection, he contrasts his perfection by your limitation. It's amazing. Like the surah talks about perfection. This, 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 that. But then compares it by what? Your limitation. How? He says, Allah knows what happens in the wombs. It's as if he's saying, you don't even know if you're going to have a boy or a girl. You don't even know if the boy will be happy or not. You don't know if the girl will get married or not. You don't know if she will have children or not. Well, but we have discovered DNA and all of that. Oh, excuse me. All of this noise ends up with nothing. So all of these are what? Are directions to proofs. And he talks about that uh, last day by discussions because as I said discussions people might still believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but they deny that they, there is a hereafter so he subhanahu wa ta'ala gives different proofs and different discussions saying if he can produce you before if he has produced you from nothing why can't he reproduce you if he has created why can't he recreate so it, he goes with uh, different, uh, showing us three different groups of deniers. Three different groups of deniers. What are they? Uh, I mean like three different groups of deniers by three different levels of discussion. One discussion is with those who are amazed. They are in a shock. Oh, we have never heard this before. Yes, but it's possible. So it's a simple, it's a simple discussion. When someone doesn't want to agree with you on something only because he hasn't seen that before, you say to him, well, it is possible. I'm like someone living, let's say, he's never seen a cold country in his life. And he says, I can't believe that people can live below uh, zero. But it's possible. There are people who live in, in Canada below zero. Like, I, I can't believe that people can, can live at minus 40. Well, uh, in Alaska, the Inuits, they live, they live in, in that degree. So these amazed deniers, they just need a a simple direction. But there are others who don't need a simple direction. They are challenging. Okay, show me the proof. Show me the proof. Well, I still don't believe it. I can't imagine. Show me the proof. What do, what, what the, how does the Quran discuss with it? If this is the first time, he would have shown them the miracle. But this is not the first time. So referring to previous miracles. If, uh, for example, if someone says to you, keeps saying to you, I don't believe that you know the answer to this question. You say, well, I've already answered 20 of your questions. Isn't that a proof? It's a miracle. And the third group are people who are completely blocked. They don't want to accept and they don't want to listen. And if it's coming from you, I don't want it. The people who, are, who will th push away the postman because they don't want to take the message from him. They do, just don't like it. So those individuals, Allah subhanahu wa so, so they say, if Allah, if you are truthful, if Allah existed, well, why, why doesn't he punish us now? You can't provoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't provoke him. So saying that, that there is wisdom in giving them a delay. The surah, 
and we'll move to the, the, the other side before we talk about the, the messenger, analyzes the different categories of, uh, of individuals facing the messenger, believers and disbelievers. And obviously, who are the, the, the important part of this? The disbelievers. Why? Because they are the ones that the surah uh, focuses on. So it analyzes the mentality of disbelief, saying that number one, disbelievers normally deny decisive proofs. Because the concept of disbelief, uh, disbelief is to refuse something without enough evidence. When some people nowadays, they say we believe in science, they forget that they just said we believe in. And to believe in something, it means it's not fully provable. Isn't it? It's not like 100% provable. There is nothing that is kind of like 100% provable. But there is something that's more likelihood and less likelihood. So there is a narrative that says, well, the creation has come from a creator. And another narrative that says, well, the creation has emerged from nothing. In our day-to-day -day life, you can just put a pound and then it emerges into 10 pounds. <laughs> you have to work in order to move the pound into what? 10 pounds. So there is a creator, there is a contributor, there is an effective cause. Everything has that effective cause. So that disbelievers deny decisive proofs. So they pretend that they are in a stronger position, but in fact disbelief is in a weaker position. That's the reality. It's in a weaker position. You know when someone is in a weaker position, what do they do? When you feel cold, what do you do? Put a lot of layers of clothes on. So this, because this belief is, 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 is like that, putting layers and layers and layers and layers. And that layer, these layers can actually turn into what we call a tyranny. You become tyrannical towards anyone who disagrees with you. You don't believe what I believe in. You are this, you are that. So disbelievers deny decisive proofs. The surah also tells us that disbelievers turn their to their false gods. In other words, as humans, they can't resist need for comfort. Isn't it? But because they need comfort, and they have already denied the real source of comfort, so they try to give themselves other sources of comfort. So someone will say, let me sh change my shape. Possibly let me change my life. Let me change my job. But I still feel bored and frustrated. I still feel weak and lonely. What else can I do that I have not done? Possibly I need to make my lips bigger or smaller, my nose bigger or smaller, my shape bigger or smaller. Well, but I'm still dissatisfied. Possibly I can uh, shave the hair of my dog and make him look like that. Well, but I'm still dissatisfied. Why? Because all of that, remember, the obsession is with shape. Your problem is you're obsessed with something that is not real. You can change the skin of a snake, but you don't change that snake. Mm. It's still a snake, right? So you need actually, if you, you can't change the, the fact that it, it, it can be poisonous. And if it bites you, you get into trouble, right? What you need to do is to extract the poison and take it out. That's as simple as that. So you, what, by the same token, you can change the skin of a human, but if the dirt is in the soul, you need to extract the dirt and throw it away so that the soul is clean. That's, that's, the, that's the, core, the core message. Disbelievers try to persecute their believers. Why? Because it's a threat to them. 
It's a threat that someone disagrees with you. Why? He makes you feel like unhappy. It's like someone who is corrupt and he accepts bribery. And then he doesn't want anyone in the city to be in a good shape. Or someone who's on drugs and he wants to, make, to, to force everyone to be on drugs so that he was not singled out. Right. So the surah addresses, shows these types of people and makes that comparison. And what is the outcome of this? What's the benefit of this? The, the benefit of this, number one, is showing us the destiny of both. That gives you comfort. It gives you comfort. Imagine if, you, if you're putting so much effort in studying and somebody else is sleeping. What keeps you going is thinking that on the day when the results come out, you would be in far better position. It is that thought and that hope that keeps you going, by the way, until the day actually happens. And destiny, the destiny of both groups and the outcome of faith and false faith. What does faith can give you? Like today, when, you, when Virgin Media contacts you and says, well, why do you want to leave us? And I say, I'm going to, I'm going to go to talk, talk. Well, not, a, not advisable though. <laughs> but if you, if you decide to go to one direction, not the other, and then Virgin Media wants to convince you to stay with them, what will they say? What will you say to them? What can you offer? No, what can you offer me? Uh, what can you offer me? Like I've been your client for 10 years. What can you offer me? And after 10 years, I'm still treated as, as if I'm a, a newcomer. So what can you offer me? They will have to give you a, a better option, isn't it? Well, not, not the best option, but they'll give you something. So by the outcome of faith versus false faith, like look, you're living a life of like, uh, embarrassment, a life of uh, unsettlement, and you feel this, this uh, discomfort even in this life. Huh? So the comparison gives you the outcome of faith, the outcome of false belief, destiny of both groups, and giving what we call what glad tidings, giving some glad tidings to the believers. Now, what could be a barrier here? Huh? What could be a barrier between the message and the address is the messenger. So the surah also talks about and this is very, very important, it displays their objections. It says, well, they have a problem with the message. Why? It's like someone telling uh, the postman, example. He comes to you and he, you refuse to accept the, the, the letter. The postman might just leave you and say, goodbye. It's your business. You get in trouble. But the postman might say to you, because he's keen. He wants, your, he wants good for you. He says, why don't you want to take it? You say, well, I don't like the way you dress. So he might actually reason with you and say, well, I possibly dressed like this today because I was in a rush. Possibly this. And bear in mind that regardless of my shape and the shape of my clothes, you, you, you're putting yourself in trouble. So tackling this and telling you that, by the way, my shape doesn't change the fact that I'm the postman. <laughs> I came with that, with that, with that message. Regardless. Sometimes you find a policeman. Do you recognize the policeman from the suit or from the ID? Suit. No? Otherwise, they wouldn't have shown you the ID, isn't it? <laughs> if it was the suit, you can go and buy a suit and <laughs> to be a policeman, isn't it? But that's why they, if you are a smart person, if you are foolish, 
Anyone who shows up to be a, pol a policeman, you'll say, a policeman. You might even think uh, of a, a fireman to be a policeman. Is it the, anyone in the uniform? Not everyone in uniform is, a, is uniformed. But the person has to show you his ID. So some people might object to the messenger and say, well, he's got a family. Why should the messenger have a family? In other words, nowadays we say about our imams and shiur. Why does the sheikh need a big pay in the, in the masjid? They give the, like the imam, for example, peanuts. And then all the trustees of the masjid, all of them, mashallah, professionals. Do you forget this is a professional as well? He is a professional, by the way, because he can't, you can't actually do that job. Oh, but any maulana can come. Oh, you're getting a maulana. Oh, okay. I thought you're getting a sheikh. <laughs> you're getting a maulana. This is a professional. You can't recite Quran. You can't lead salah. Well, everyone can recite Quran. That's because you have abused and redefined the imam job, the word imam. Imagine if we do the same to doctors. What will happen? The standard of our health will go down. Imagine if we say anyone who does like a six-month course on medicine can actually practice medicine. What will happen? Our physical health will go down. You want to see how is that reflected in, uh, in religious uh, real? Look at our spiritual health. Our families are separated, problems hitting the society right, left, and center. So what is happening? We have a big problem. Why? Because we don't give any attention to our scholars and the people of ilm and give them the space to support us so you need the imam only when there is a fatwa on marriage or divorce. Hmm. When you are in big trouble, like you're getting to the imam as if like, please, can you get me out of this uh, disaster? Like yesterday, one brother, uh, the day before yesterday, an uncle called me, Ya Sheikh, we have this brother. First of all, they're very funny in asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> ya Sheikh, what's the hukum of uh, divorcing one's wife through a text message? I said, what do you mean? He said, Sheikh, someone has divorced his wife through a text message. Is that valid or not valid? I said, I don't know. He said, Sheikh, what do you mean you don't know? I said, what did he say to her? Isn't it? What did he say? And is it him who wrote it? And which divorce is this? Is it the first, second, or third? And do they have children or not? You need to you need to fill in a form before I give you what before I give you my diagnosis. You need to tell the doctor how do you feel and what do you feel and what the pain is and how long have you been feeling it and he needs to do some some examination before he gives you some any any feedback. Anyway, like it turned out to be that this brother has divorced his wife, not the uncle, another another person divorced his wife three times in a row, in like in a setting. I said, well, according to the form, and helps. Wassalamu alaikum. He's gone. But yeah, Sheikh, you know, they said that there is another opinion. I said, who said? Like they. Who are they? <laughs> like their neighbors, their family friends, like some, uh, some, uh, some sisters or some brothers. I said, first of all, well, the other opinion violates the, the four schools of thought. This is the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah. 
Yes, Dar Ifta in Egypt holds that opinion, but as a solution in case there are children involved. It's like, it's like a solution in extreme case. Do they have children? He said, no. I said, Khalas. No one will get affected. And then it turns out that these three divorces in a row was not the first time. No. There was a time before. I said, so even if, even if they go with that, ex with that extreme opinion, she has already been divorced twice. Twice. If, if that's counted as one. And I said, I had to repeat every in every sentence. And by the way, I don't give fatwa according to this. And by the way, this is not my fatwa. And by the way, I disagree with it. He said, I know, I know. I said, so don't go away and say, I called the sheikh in Birmingham and he told me it's counted as one. I'm not saying it's counted as one. Anyway, uh, what, what we, we're talking about here is that this objection to the messenger and the person who carries the message has always been there. He has a family. In other words, why does he have to have needs similar to our needs if he's a man talking about spirituality? Well, I'm talking about spirituality, but my body is on earth. My soul is in heavens, but what? My body is with you. So I still need everything that you need. I need a food, okay, as a human, huh? we need food, we need money, isn't it? We need milk, we need house, we need shelter, we need all of these things. So that he has a family. Or sometimes some people just deny we got evidence. We just don't like it. We just don't like it. So you might, as a postman, you might convince the person that you had an excuse for coming uh, with this, in this, in the suit, on the day, but he still says, "Well, you know what? I just don't. I, I don't want to take that, that message. So denial without evidence. So the Quran discusses this and honestly displays this and responds to them, responds to their objections. If he, if you say he walks in the markets and he needs food, well, he's a bashar, he's a human." It's very essential for you so that you don't you feel affinity and closeness to him. What is the outcome of all of this discussion? To empower the, the believers and to give them some form of support. Because remember, if you find that you are being objected to today because you are a human, and then uh, you read the Quran, you know what? The Prophet also went through something similar to this, but actually greater. He just gives you some appeasement. If you go through uh, difficulty in life, fine. You know, one of the very, very beautiful lines of poetry that's always inspired me said, Qultu lil aina anta The poet says, I said to poverty, where do you live? Mm. But poverty, where do you live? Qala li fi fuqahai. He said, I live in the turbans of jurists. But poverty lives where? In the turbans of scholars. <laughs> there is brotherhood between me and them. Like we are very good friends. I can't cut that relationship. <laughs> well, which means that whatever you find a fuqaha, like real ulama, they are not doing very, very well in life. Like they're masakin, fuqara, but they're dignified. Isn't it? That's dignity. And what? Money wise, like you wouldn't find a, a alim. Very, it's very rare, subhanAllah. It's very rare to find the Alim who's very rich, extremely rich. Like the big ulama, Abu Hanifa, Malik, and uh, Al Shafi'i. Like you, you think, what did Al Shafi'i do? 
in his life. What business did he have? Nothing. You know what? Shafi'i pretty much didn't own a house in Egypt. He was living in the house of Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn al-Hakam, who was a, a Maliki. His father was a Maliki, Abdullah ibn al-Hakam ibn Ayyan, and he told his son to accompany a Shafi'i and be in his service. So a Shafi'i lived there. And they used to give a Shafi'i money because he's Muttalibi, he's from Bani Abd al-Muttalib, he's, he's from Quraysh, and he's related to the Prophet sallallahu he's imam. People used to give him money. Malik radiallahu anhu, where did he live from? What was the job of Malik? Malik had to sell the logs of his ceiling to feed his family. Like you know the logs, the wood of your ceiling. He had to remove them and sell them to feed his family. And when his daughter wanted to get married, when he wanted to marry off his daughter, he didn't have money to, to prepare her. So he said to Alayth ibn Sa'ad. Alayth ibn Sa'ad was pretty much the only big scholar who had so much money in his life at that time. So he said to Alayth ibn Sa'ad, so Alayth ibn Sa'ad sent to him saffron. You know saffron? Like two camels laden with saffron. He said, use one for uh, beautification. For her beautification, you know, you can actually dye clothes with it. You can color your skin with it. And he said, the other, sell it. It was very expensive. And take the money and spend it on the marriage. Alayth ibn Sa'ad, he, because he knew, he knew that the students of knowledge are fuqara, they are poor, he used to, when the students come to him, he used to offer them dates, right? What is inside the date? Huh? What's seed. inside the date? Seed, isn't it? He used to put a golden dinar inside. <laughs> so the more dates he eat, well, obviously you don't eat the date. Like you take the date and take a golden dinar from inside. <laughs> so that's, they said he used to put a loose end. Musa, do you want that? You want your dad to do that to you? <laughs> he can't. There are no golden dinars anymore. <laughs> so that's that's that was his way of like helping the students of knowledge, right? So telling us. That, don't worry, when you see someone going through difficulty, then prophets, this is the path of prophets. Some of the ulama said, when, I, when days pass without any test, I ask myself, what's the problem with me? <laughs> what's the problem? Why there is no, nothing? Like, yeah, nothing has gone wrong for so long. You know, when the kids go silent, there's a disaster. Yeah, there is a disaster going on. So you ask yourself, what has happened? But that's why they said uh, Ibn Atayyah said, Wurudu al-Faqati ayadul muridin. Like tribulations, when they come, they are the Eid for the seekers. It's like it's Eid time. You get ready for the Eid because of, wow, this is a good time. So Wurudu al-Faqati ayadul muridin. It's like the Eid time. It's like, okay, Alhamdulillah, I'm still remembered. Some people, subhanAllah. Tell me, Siri, when, when do you want us to stop? So, okay, so in, in about... Did you want to break now? Is it, is it a point to break? Or Sorry? Is it a point to break? Yeah, I, I, I would rather... Uh,